Oh Lord, we ask this morning that you would help my tongue to speak clearly as we read and study your word together. And Lord, we pray that you would do this, that we would hear a clear message from your word this morning so that we can continue to know that your commands are righteous and true and worthy of trust. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we will continue our series in the book of Micah and we looked at Micah chapter 4 last week and we've been seeing how the Lord has promised, he has given great hope to the nation of Israel that they will be okay in the future and we looked at how that uh, plays out in their rescue from Babylon uh, which we can actually see in verse 10, that uh, verse that we read just a a minute ago, uh, that they will go to Babylon but from there they will be rescued, the Lord will redeem them out of the hand of their enemies there, And we looked at, of course, how this is fulfilled ultimately in the heavenly uh, Zion, that we will go to a heavenly Zion and we will live at peace with our fellow man there. But Hosea, uh, sorry, Micah has also a message for the nation of Judah and the nation of Israel, of course, uh, in their current situation as well. Uh, We have this moving back and forth with prophecy of what's going on currently, but what's going to happen in the future. And of course, the future time can be far, far in the future and even to the final uh, judgment and the final time where we are taken into glory. And this morning, we're going to look at particularly uh, verse 11. So Micah has been giving this hope to the people of Israel, uh, to the probably the kingdom of Judah primarily, that one day they will be rescued from Babylon and one day they will live in peace. But he wants to also give them some words of counsel for the situation that they are facing now. Remembering that Micah prophesied during a a fairly lengthy period of different kings, and one of those was King Hezekiah. Uh, King Hezekiah, one of the kings of Judah. And during that time, we see that many nations were actually gathered against Hezekiah and the kingdom of Judah, which of course includes Jerusalem. And we see that spoken of in verse 11. Verse 11, it says, but now. So moving from future to what's happening now. Verse 11, but now many nations are gathered against you. Many nations are gathered against you. And probably the most likely fulfillment of this is with Hezekiah, and when the Assyrian army came down through the northern kingdom of Israel and then arrived at Judah. Uh, And in parts of Judah, they were able to be successful in conquering different towns and reached Jerusalem itself. And we say that this is many nations because Assyria was actually made up of a conglomerate of different nations that had joined in with them and come against Judah. And what, was the, what were they going to do against Judah, against the city of Jerusalem? Well, one of the things that we see is that they would mock the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Judah. Uh, we see in verse 11, they say, let her be defiled, let our eyes gloat over Zion. They are mocking the nation of Israel and particularly the nation of Judah. Uh, They are mocking it. And what do they want to see happen to it? What do they want to do personally to the city of Jerusalem? Well, it is that they want to defile it. They want their eyes to see what they should not see. What does it mean to defile something? Well, it means to pollute it, to take something that is clean and to make it unclean, to make it common, something that is holy and good, to make it the same, to make it common. We understand the word holy. In one sense, it just means that you are different 
from everything else. If you are holy, then you are different. And that's what the city of Jerusalem was. It was different from the cities of the rest of the nations. Why? Because God's temple was there. And that temple was holy. It was different because it was the temple of the creator of all the earth. And within that temple, there was a holy of holies, a place that no one got to see except the high priest, and that only once a year. Even the Israelites weren't allowed to look in at the holy of holies, the inner place of God's temple where his ark was. But what do the Assyrians want to do? Well, they want to gaze on Zion. They want to gaze on Jerusalem, not just inside the city walls, but probably the temple itself as well. They mock the God of Israel and they want to defile it. They want to pollute, to make it unholy, to make it just like all the other nations by coming through and looting it and destroying what is inside, including many of the Israelites. And we see this in 2 Chronicles chapter 32. We see this motivation of the Assyrian army to defile Israel and to make out that it is just like the other nations, that the nation of Judah, the, the tribe of Judah, uh, under, the, of course, the, the Israelites as well, that they are just like the other nations. And so turn with me now to 2 Chronicles 32. I'm going to read a fairly large slab from it, about 20-odd verses. Uh, so turn with me now. It'll be really helpful to you as you look at the Assyrian army and how they fulfill this prophecy of Micah. 2 Chronicles 32... Uh, if you've got a paper Bible in front of you, a hard copy, Second uh, Chronicles is a few books before Psalms. So you've got Chronicles, Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms. So if you go to Psalms in the middle of your Bible and go a few books before it, you'll hit Second Chronicles. And Second Chronicles chapter 32, one of the last uh, chapters of Second Chronicles, and we'll read from verse 1. The previous chapters to chapter 32 uh, look at how Hezekiah was such a good king of Israel, a good king of Judah, I should say. Uh, he was one who uh, purified the temple. He got rid of many of the gods, the, the idols that uh, the people were worshipping in Jerusalem and the surrounding cities. He practiced the Passover. And so he'd done such wonderful work in holding people to God's word. And then in chapter 32, we read about the invasion of the Assyrians. Chapter 32 of Second Chronicles, reading from verse 1. After all that Hezekiah had so faithfully done, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. He laid siege to the fortified cities, thinking to conquer them for himself. When Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that he intended to make war on Jerusalem... He consulted with his officials and military staff about blocking off the water from the springs outside the city, and they helped him. A large force of men assembled, and they blocked all the springs and the stream that flowed through the land. Why should the kings of Assyria come and find plenty of water, they said. Then he worked hard repairing all the broken sections of the wall and building towers on it. He built another wall outside that one and reinforced the supporting terraces of the city of David. He also made large numbers of weapons and shields. He appointed military officers over the people and assembled them before him in the square at the city gate and encouraged them with these words, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. For there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of flesh. 
with us, the Lord our God, to help us and to fight our battles. And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. So you can see here the nation of Assyria, the army of Assyria has come down uh, to Judah and through Judah to Jerusalem itself. Hezekiah is uh, fearful of what they may do, and so he makes sure to prepare the city uh, by repairing the walls and by uh, building extra walls and cutting off water supplies uh, from those who would invade, but making sure that water is supplied in Jerusalem itself. And then he's encouraged the, the army that he has to not be discouraged. But what is the response of the Assyrians? Well, we read in verse 9. Later, when Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and all his forces were laying siege to Lachish, he sent his officers to Jerusalem with this message for Hezekiah, king of Judah, and for all the people of Judah who were there. This is what Sennacherib, king of Assyria, says. On what are you basing your confidence that you remain in Jerusalem under siege? When Hezekiah says, the Lord our God will save us from the hand of the king of Assyria, he is misleading you to let you die of hunger and thirst. Did not Hezekiah himself remove this God's high places and altars, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before one altar and burn sacrifices on it? Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of the other lands? Were the gods of those nations ever able to deliver their land from my hand? Who of all the gods of these nations that my fathers destroyed has been able to save his people from me? How then can your God deliver you from my hand? Now, do not let Hezekiah deceive you and mislead you like this. Do not believe him, for no God of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand or the hand of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? Sennacherib's officers spoke further against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. The king also wrote letters insulting the Lord, the God of Israel, and saying this against him, just as the gods of the peoples of the other lands did not rescue their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not rescue his people from my hand. Then they called out in Hebrew to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to terrify them and make them afraid in order to capture the city. They spoke about the God of Jerusalem as they did about the gods of the other peoples of the world, the work of men's hands. So here we see quite clearly a fulfillment of Micah's prophecy. Micah's prophecy is that many nations would be gathered against Israel. And here we see many nations coming in the Assyrian army gathered against Israel. And what did Micah say they would do? They would say, let her be defiled, let our eyes gloat over Zion. They mocked Zion and they wanted to defile Zion and show that it's just like the other nations, that it's not holy, it's not special, it's just like the other nations. We can conquer it. And so we will be able to prove that this place is not of the God who made all things. And so we see that terrible passage of this man making great mockery of the God of all the earth. But what did the Assyrians not know? What do the Assyrians not know? Well, that's where Micah is very helpful to us. We read in verse 11 what the Assyrians would do. But what do we read in verse 12? Keep your finger in 2 Chronicles 32 if you've got it there. But also flip back to Micah chapter 4. Micah chapter 4, verse 12. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, 
They do not understand his plan. He who gathers them like sheaves to the threshing floor. What do the Assyrians not know? They do not know the thoughts of God. What do they not understand? The plans of God. What was God doing? Well, he was gathering the Assyrians. As they came to Judah, they came to Jerusalem, God was the one who was bringing them down. And what was he gathering them to do? He was gathering them to thresh them like sheaves to the threshing floor. What does this mean in verse 12, that they're coming like sheaves to the threshing floor? Well, sheaves is a reference to grain, to some sort of wheat or corn that is grown in the field. And what happens when you want to get that grain out? Well, you need to thresh it. You need to break up the husk that's around it and the stalk that's there. You gather it in, you cut it down once it's ripe, and then you need to thresh it and get the grain, which is heavier, away from the lighter part, which is the stalk and the husk. And so there's different ways that this would be threshed out. And one of the ways that people used to do this, of course, with modern machinery, you just get a a machine to do it. But one of the ways that was done in the past, rather than having to physically yourself beat these large bundles of sheaves of grain and to try and separate that which is lighter from that which is heavier, which is the grain that you're after, you would get a cow, uh, a bull, to, to walk over the bundles that you'd brought in from the field. And as they trampled on it, they would break things up for you with their hoofs. And that is what is being described in verse 13. Verse 13 of Micah chapter 4. Rise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will give you horns of iron, I will give you hoofs of bronze, and you will break to pieces many nations. See the reference to the hoofs there? The idea of breaking up underneath the, 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 the grain and so that the, the good is brought out from that which is useless. So what is God going to do? What is he going to do to Assyria? What is his plan? What is God's thought? Well, God's plan is to bring the Assyrians to Jerusalem and then to thresh them, to destroy them, to break up that which is false and, and useless and to keep what is valuable. Did God do what he promised? Did God bring the Assyrians there and then thresh them? Or did he fail in what is promised there in Micah chapter 4? Well, if we continue reading in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, we see that God did what he promised, that he did indeed thresh the the Assyrian army. Turn back with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 32. 2 Chronicles chapter 32, and we'll read from verse 20. After all those threats that Sennacherib's officers had spoken against the, the nation of Israel and the mockery that they had made against the God of Israel, we read in verse 20, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah son of Amoz cried out in prayer to heaven about this. And the Lord sent an angel who annihilated all the fighting men and the leaders and officers in the camp of the Assyrian king. So he withdrew to his own land in disgrace. And when he went into the temple of his God, some of his sons cut him down with the sword. So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from the hand of all others. He took care of them on every side. Many brought offerings to Jerusalem for the Lord and valuable gifts for Hezekiah, king of Judah. From then on, he was highly regarded by all the nations." So God did what he promised in Micah chapter 4. 
These people, they came against his people, but they were the ones that were threshed. They came to thresh Israel, but they ended up being threshed there at Jerusalem. It's interesting that it happened at Jerusalem, and we think of the, the temple that we were referring to before, that they were gloating at the idea of destroying God's temple or looking at what they should not. What was the site that was the temple? Well, originally, it was a threshing floor. It was purchased by David when the angel of the Lord stopped a plague that was coming through, and it was that site that was made the temple of the Lord. It was a threshing floor there. And so this Assyrian army is brought to a threshing floor and they are threshed. And what is left behind as the angel of the Lord sweeps through, and we understand in Isaiah there was 185,000 soldiers were destroyed in one night. The spoils that were left were taken by God's people. And that's what's prophesied in verse 13 of uh, Micah chapter 4. Rise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will give you horns of iron, I will give you hoofs of bronze, and you will break to pieces many nations. You will devote their ill-gotten gains to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of all the earth. And we saw that back in Second Chronicles, that this wealth comes over to Hezekiah. And so the Assyrians were undone. They came to thresh, but they were threshed. They, and why is that? Because they did not understand the plans of the Lord. They did not understand the thoughts of God. They did not know the thoughts of God, and so they were threshed instead. But of course, with all the prophecies in the Bible, there are other fulfillments that we can look at. And so I think it's a very obvious fulfillment of verses 11, 12, and 13 in the Assyrians. But of course, when we look to the Lord Jesus, we see a similar fulfillment as well. We see that Jesus, who is the true Israel, he was defiled and polluted as well. That nations came against him and desired him to be defiled and polluted. Did Christ's enemies defile Christ? Well, we understand yes, of course, and we can look at the different ways in Matthew chapter 27. Look with me at Matthew chapter 27. Turn with me there now as well in your Bibles. I'm going to read uh, about 10, 15 verses from Matthew chapter 27. Reading from verse 27. Matthew 27, verse 27. Look at the way that the Lord Jesus, the true Israel, was defiled by his enemies. Verse 27 of Matthew 27. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they put the written charge against him, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. 
In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Here we see a fulfillment of Micah chapter 4 as well. We saw the mocking back in chapter 4 of Micah where people would say, let her be defiled, let her eyes gloat over Zion. And here we see a similar thing happening in Matthew chapter 27. We see the grand fulfillment, really, of Micah chapter 4 here in Matthew 27. How was the Lord Jesus Christ defiled? Well, they literally threshed him. They stripped and they beat him. How else? Well, they crucified him. The most shameful way that you can die, the most painful of deaths, a drawn-out lingering death, is another threshing that these people wanted to inflict upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's the public humiliation and the mocking. We see so many insults there. And you see even almost a parallel with the Assyrian king and the way he mocked and said, Oh, yes, you trust in God. Oh, yes, Jesus, you trust in God. But you can't be saved. You can't be saved by God. There's a threshing of words. And then, of course, we pick up another parallel in the New Testament, and then we see that uh, in the passage that we had read for us before, 1 Peter chapter 4, where the body of Christ continues to be threshed by the enemies. We see in 1 Peter chapter 4, in verse 4, it says, They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and the heap of abuse on you. That people outside the church, they think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and the heap of abuse on you. And that's referring to the church, yes, but what is the church? The church is the body of Christ. And so when insults come against the body of Christ, the church, it's coming against God. And so Christ continues to be threshed today by those outside the church. But what did Christ's enemies not know? What did they not know? Micah 4 tells us, verse 12, But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan. He who gathers them like sheaves to the threshing floor. What was God's plan? What was God's plan? Well, it was to glorify Christ as he bore the threshing that his people deserve. All people deserve to be threshed for their sin against God. But God in his mercy sent his son and his son willingly took the threshing that we deserve, that, that pummeling that we deserve so that we could go free and not be threshed as we should be for our sin. And so they thought they were defiling the Lord Jesus Christ. Let him be defiled. Let him be crucified. Let's mock him. Let's beat his body, let's spit on him, he will be defiled before us. But what was happening? Christ was being honoured. They were defiling him and saying, he's just like any other man. But as they were crucifying him, he was actually being glorified by God. It was for his glory that he went to the cross. And what did they not also understand? That when they threshed the church of Christ, they were actually bringing about the honour of the Christ, that they were filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions in the body of Christ, and that the church would be honoured and glorified as Christ would work through them. And what else did they not understand? They did not understand that one day that Zion who they threshed at the cross, he would thresh them. That chapter 4, verse 13 would be fulfilled in reference to them. 
Chapter 4, verse 13 of Micah. Rise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will give you horns of iron, I will give you hoofs of bronze, and you will break to pieces many nations. Who's that a reference to ultimately? It's to Jesus Christ. He is the true Zion, and he is the one who has horns of iron and hoofs of bronze, and he is the one who threshes many nations. And how does he do it? He does it in hell. For eternity in hell, people are threshed by the Lord Jesus with his hoofs of iron, uh, his hoofs of bronze and his horns of iron. So what about you? As you listen to me now, what about you? Do you defile Christ Jesus? Do you defile Christ Jesus by rejecting him, by trying to thresh him, by saying, he's just like any other person? Jesus isn't special. He's like any other person. Maybe he was a bit cleverer than others. He was able to do a few things that people got caught up with and they think that, oh yes, uh, he was obviously very special in some respects, that lots of people follow him, but he was just an ordinary man. He wasn't the son of God. Is that you? Do you treat Jesus as common? That he's not special, he's not holy, that he's like anyone else? Do you think that you can keep threshing Christ and threshing the people of God, mocking the people of God, working against them, and it'll be okay for you because it's gone well so far. Are you like the Assyrians years ago who thought, just because we've conquered all these other nations, we can, of course, conquer this city of Zion? Do you not know the thoughts of the Lord? Do you not understand his plans? What's the plan of God? Well, if you continue in your way, God is going to gather you like a sheaf of grain and thresh you in his judgment. He is going to thresh you one day if you continue to defile the Lord Jesus Christ by rejecting him as just like any other man. You may say, is it certain? Is Jesus really going to thresh those who are against him? Well, yes. If God can thresh 185,000 Assyrians with one angel, he can certainly thresh you if he desires to do so. Do you not understand the plan of God? Do you not know the thoughts of God? I'm revealing it to you now. You should understand now what God has planned for those who will defile the true Zion, the Lord Jesus Christ. What should you do? You should repent. Stop thrashing Christ. Stop saying, let him be defiled in your mind. Stop going in your ways. Now that you know, now that it has been revealed to you this morning, it's a great privilege that you've had this revelation given to you in Micah and in Matthew 27 and 1 Peter chapter 4. It's a great privilege to know what happens to those who thresh God's Son because then you will stop doing it if you truly understand. And that's what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7, where Paul says that if Christ's enemies had known what they were doing, they would not have crucified him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they had understood 
what the plan of God was, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So are you going to be so foolish as to hear the plan of God now, that he's going to thresh all those who mock his son, and you're going to not turn from your wicked ways? You may say, well, what about my past sin of threshing the Lord? The way I've rejected him in the past, can I be forgiven of that? The answer is yes, if you trust in Christ Jesus, if you trust that he was threshed by God for your sake many years ago, then you are forgiven. And if you do that, you can come to enjoy loving Christ rather than hating Christ, rather than mocking and saying, let him be defiled, let him be like any other man. You can come to know a far greater joy in loving him rather than mocking and deriding him. Now, if you are a Christian, what are we to do in light of Micah's prophecy? Well, as I love to tell the scripture kids at school, the whole of the Bible really is just to push us to trust in Christ Jesus. All of the Bible is reminding us that we are to trust in God, to have faith in God. And this is another example. What are we to do? We're to trust God's thoughts and God's plans. We are to do what Micah chapter 4, verse 12, says the Assyrians didn't do. They did not know the thoughts of the Lord. They did not understand his plan. We're to know the thoughts of the Lord and understand his plan and trust then that he knows what he's doing. When we're being threshed by others or being threatened by others that they will thresh us, that they will take trouble to us if we do not, if we continue in exalting the Lord Jesus Christ, we should trust that God knows what he's doing, bringing those threshers around us. We know the plan of God. What is the plan of God? Well, 1 Peter 4, 5 says, they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Those who deride the people of God, who thresh the people of God, they will have to give an account to the one who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So what are we to do as Christians? We're not to fear threshers. Those who come to thresh us, to hurt us, we understand God's plan, that those who threaten to thresh us, and may even thresh us for a time, as they did to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they will be threshed one day by a greater thresher. How? Well, either God will thresh them in hell, in which case we should pity them and sorrow over them, or they will be gathered to persecute, to thresh us, so that their pride will be threshed. Their pride will be threshed and they will be humbled by the Spirit and trust in Jesus Christ. And all their sin will be put upon his shoulders. And this often happens. You see this with unbelievers. They come to persecute. They come to deride the people of God. And what happens? They end up being converted. They're the ones who are judged. They came to judge the people of God. But as they speak and engage with the people of God, they end up being judged and humbled. They are threshed as they came to thresh. And they come to trust in Jesus Christ. I was just reading a, a book by uh, a man whose uh, mother was a, a lesbian, and so he thought that all Christians were bigots and horrible people 
towards uh, people like his mother. And so he had an idea. He was in his late teens, early 20s. He said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to join a Bible study group. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to join that Bible study group and I'm going to learn about the Bible as much as I possibly can from these bigots. And what I'm going to do, once I become an expert in the scriptures, I'm then going to use all that knowledge that I have to show how stupid Christianity is, how foolish it is, and how these horrible haters have nothing to stand on. I'm going to go in like a CIA agent into this Bible study group, and I'm going to then use all that information I glean to destroy so, as many Christians as I can. What ended up happening to that guy? was converted. He got to know these people at this Bible study group and they were loving and kind and he started to read the Bible and he read more and more of the Bible and what happened? He started to love Jesus. He started to understand more and more about the Lord Jesus. His soul was getting threshed. As he came in to thresh the people of God, he himself was threshed. So what are we to do as Christians? We're not to fear those who come against us, who threaten us, like the Assyrians so many years ago. We're not to be afraid. Either they will be threshed for eternity in hell, or it may just be that God is gathering them to you in order that they will have their pride threshed. They will be humbled before God and become a Christian, which is what our experience is, isn't it? For many of us are very clear in this, that at one time, we tried to thresh God. We rejected Jesus as a common man. Nothing special. And what happened? Well, we were threshed. Our pride was threshed by the Spirit. And we believe that God threshed the Holy of Holies, the pure Lamb of God, the sinless one. He threshed him on our behalf so that we would not be threshed. We have learned that we have escaped being defiled for eternity because Jesus was defiled in our place. That people gloated and mocked him and looked upon him with scorn so that we would not be mocked and scorned for all eternity. And so we rejoice, even as we are in sorrow, as people come against us, as people encourage us to sin against our Lord, as people mock and deride us and try and pollute us so that we are not holy. They say, you're no different from everybody else. You're just a man like us. What makes you think you're so good just because you're a Christian? We can rejoice because we know that we are special, that we are righteous because we have trusted in Christ. And his righteousness has been put to our account and all the defiling that we should experience for our sin has been put upon him that he was polluted at the cross so that we would go free. Let us come before God in prayer. Let us speak with him now. Heavenly Father, we praise you as the wise and powerful God who knows exactly what you are doing. Even as people come to thresh your Messiah and his body, the church, you know what you are doing. And so, Lord, we thank you that you have threshed our pride, that we can look back upon our lives and see that you, you knew exactly what you were doing in our life. And you have brought us to understand your ways, to understand your thoughts and your plans. 
and we have come to trust in the threshing of the Messiah for our sin. Oh, Lord, it is so wonderful to consider that he was polluted, that pure, spotless lamb was polluted so that we could escape the pollution of all eternity in hell. And so, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us our fear of man and help us to stand firm even as modern-day Assyrians come and mock and deride us and try and encourage us to sin and show that we're just like anyone else, that we're not saints, we're not holy people, we're just like everybody else. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would help us stand firm and help us to share the good news with those who come against your Son. And, Lord, we pray that in your mercy, by the power of your Spirit, that you would thresh the pride of those who persecute us so that they are humbled before you and come to trust in Christ Jesus. Oh, Lord, we pray that many threshers may be threshed by yourself, that Zion in Jesus Christ would arise and thresh them so that they are saved for all eternity. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.